After looking back over last week's sermon, which was an overview of prayer, I regret that it was not better organized. So now, hopefully, let me summarize even more clearly what we looked at last week. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 18, Paul writes, For through Him we both have access in one Spirit to the Father. Here's what Paul is saying. Through Jesus Christ and with the Holy Spirit, we have access to God the Father, and I'll add this, in prayer. And so prayer is conversation with God. Prayer is conversation with God by which we approach God and we speak to God. Prayer would be impossible without Jesus. It would be impossible without Jesus because He is the one who reconciles us to God. And prayer would be impossible without the Holy Spirit who helps us to rightly see ourselves and to see God and the Gospel. That is basically how John Bunyan defined prayer. Prayer is a sincere, sensible, affectionate pouring out of the heart or soul to God through Christ in the strength and assistance of the Holy Spirit. And so again, through Jesus Christ and with the help of the Holy Spirit, we have access to God the Father in prayer. And now, building on that foundation, we're going to turn to Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 through 13, where the Lord Jesus Himself teaches us how to pray. Most of us are familiar with the text, or we have even memorized it, and we know it as the Lord's Prayer. And for the purpose of preaching through it, I have identified three parts here. In verses 5 through 8, we have prerequisites of prayer. In verse 9, we have a preface to prayer. And then in verses 10 through 13, we have petitions in prayer. And so that is three parts, prerequisites, preface, and petition. So we will begin today with the prerequisites of prayer. There are two of them that Jesus mentions, and this sermon will only tackle the first. But before we get to tackling Remember, this is God's Word that we're studying together. And in God's Word alone, we learn who we are. We learn who God is. Most importantly, we learn how we can be reconciled to God, to have a relationship with God. And we need the Holy Spirit's help to to give us spiritual discernment so that we can understand these words that we study today, these words of Jesus which help to teach us how to pray. So let me begin with prayer. Father in heaven, thank you for time now to read your word. 
and to preach Your Word. And I pray that You would help all of us. Help me even now. Help others when they watch or listen to understand what prayer is and how we may come to You and speak to You more deeply. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you haven't already, open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6. For those of you who feel like you don't know how to pray, this might be the best place in the Bible to start because Jesus Himself is teaching us. Imagine that. Jesus is teaching us here how to pray. Have you seen the master class on the internet? Master class is different classes that you can be taught a particular discipline by an expert in that discipline. So we are about to begin a master class on prayer taught by Jesus. And we'll begin in verse 6. We'll skip verse 5 for now. And begin in verse 6 where Jesus introduces us to the kind of prayer He's talking about. This kind of prayer in Matthew 6 that Jesus is describing is private prayer or secret prayer. And I say kind because there are many different kinds of prayer. There are other ways to pray. There is public prayer and church prayer and family prayer and continuous prayer. But here, Jesus is talking about private prayer. This is praying that, according to David McIntyre, requires a quiet place, a quiet hour, and a quiet heart. Christians commonly describe private prayer today as a quiet time or a personal devotion. Jesus describes it this way in verse 6. When you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Jesus Himself practiced this kind of prayer. We're told in Luke 5 verse 15, But now even more the report about Him, that is Jesus, went abroad, and great crowds gathered to hear Him and to be healed of their infirmities. But He would withdraw. But He would withdraw to desolate places and pray. That's private, secret prayer. In 1665, the Puritan Thomas Brooks, he wrote an entire book on this one verse entitled, The Private Key to Heaven. In it, he described private prayer like this. Oh, the sweet meltings, the heavenly warmings, the blessed cheerings, the glorious manifestations, and the choice communion with God that Christians have found 
when they have been alone with God in a corner, in a closet, behind the door. Early church bishop Ambrose wrote, I am never less alone than when I am alone, for then I can enjoy the presence of my God most freely, fully, and sweetly without interruption. So you see, private prayer is more than just praying privately. It is communing with God. It is intimately relating to God. One of the reformers described it as like a child crawling up into the lap of God. Hebrews 4.15 describes Jesus as our high priest who has given us access to God, which then leads us to verse 16, with confidence, draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. In private prayer, a Christian draws near to the throne of grace. And we do that, Hebrews says, with confidence. That means that we speak openly to God. We speak honestly and frankly to God. Psalm 27.8 You have said, seek my face. My heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek. Private prayer is seeking the face of God. When you're having a conversation with someone, when you're having a deep conversation with someone, you don't look at their feet. You don't look at their hands. You look at their face. And so when we are looking to commune with God, to pray to Him, to have a conversation with Him, it is described as seeking the face of God. Private prayer is after a personal encounter with the living God. This kind of encounter with God through prayer is described by Paul in Ephesians 3, 14-19. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven on earth is named, that according to the riches of His glory, He may grant you to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend, that is, strength to grasp, to grasp with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. That is describing private prayer. It's describing a personal encounter with God where we conversate with Him, commune with Him, and by His Spirit's help, grasp how great and high and wide and deep is His love for us. Tim Keller writes, Paul does not see prayer as merely a way to get things from God, but as a way to get more of God Himself. 
This is private prayer. This is secret prayer that Jesus is describing in Matthew chapter 6. Do you regularly seek a quiet place? A quiet time and a quiet heart? If you seek it, do you regularly find it? For some of you, this kind of prayer has become a regular part of your life. Like breathing is to your body, private prayer is to your soul. But for many of you, maybe for more of you, these descriptions of personal encounters with God through prayer sound strange. Maybe they even sound impossible to you. I said last week at the beginning of the sermon that Christians today would be hard-pressed to find an activity that is personally more difficult and more easily obstructed than prayer. Aren't there endless obstacles to this kind of prayer? Let me bring up and address just Three of the obstacles. Number one, some of you are disinterested in private prayer. Why are you disinterested? It could be that you're cynical. Cynical toward others and cynical toward God. You you doubt what you hear. You doubt that God hears you. You doubt that He answers you, you doubt that you will change or that others will change. And so what is the point in privately praying to God? Paul Miller writes this in in his excellent book called A Praying Life. To ask God for change confronts us with our doubt about whether prayer makes any difference. Is change even possible? Doesn't God control everything? If so, what is the point? Because it is uncomfortable to feel our unbelief, to come face to face with our cynicism, we dull our souls with the narcotic of activity. Or maybe you're disinterested because you fear intimacy with God. Maybe you avoid intimacy with others as well. You might be fearful of entrusting yourself to God. You might be fearful of being fully known by God or anyone. You might be afraid of what could be exposed in your own soul if you were quiet for too long before God. But you need private prayer. This is not a have to. This is a need to. Thomas Brooks said private prayer is the believer's daily meat and drink. Let me quote him at length. Because this might spark interest in you if you're disinterested in secret prayer. Consider that in times of great straits and trials, in times of great afflictions and persecutions, private prayer is the Christian's meat and drink. 
It is his chief city of refuge. It is his shelter and hiding place in a stormy day. When iron and devils have done their worst, every Christian will be able to maintain his private trade with heaven. When a man is lying upon a sickbed alone, or when a man is in prison alone, or when a man is with Job left upon the dunghill alone, or when a man is with John banished for the testimony of Jesus into this or that island alone, oh, then private prayer will be his meat and drink, his shelter, his hiding place, his heaven. When all other trades fail, this trade of private prayer will hold good. Or maybe it's something worse for you. Maybe you're disinterested in private prayer because you are disinterested in God. If that's the case, you may not be a Christian. You should read the Word of God and ask the Spirit of God to impress it on your heart. A second obstacle, some of you are too busy for private prayer. At least you think you are too busy for private prayer. Wasn't it Martin Luther that said, I am too busy not to pray? You're busy and you have so much to get done. How can you spare 15 minutes in private prayer? But another way to think about that is if you are so busy, how could you afford not to pray? Let me offer some very practical advice. First, make time for prayer. Your soul needs it. The best version of yourself at work, at school, with your kids is the version that spends time in private prayer. Paul Miller again wrote, You and God need space to be together. Efficiency, multitasking, and busyness, they all kill intimacy. In short, you can't get to know God on the fly. If Jesus has to pull away from people and noise in order to pray, then it makes sense that we all need to as well. My personal tendency is to neglect private prayer because it doesn't feel productive. There's always something else that I could be doing that feels more productive, that feels more fruitful. I am task-oriented to a fault. And so it's good for me, and maybe it's good for you to remember that prayer is productive. Oswald Chambers wisely said, Prayer does not prepare us for greater works. Prayer is the greater work. But also, every minute that I spend praying in private means one less minute to complete my tasks, which is a good thing because it forces me 
to rely on God. And second bit of practical advice, if you believe you're too busy to pray, consider spending time in prayer before your busy day starts in the morning. This has been the proven practice of countless believers for 2,000 years. John Bunyan wrote, He who runs from God in the morning seldom finds Him the rest of the day. Third obstacle. Some of you are easily distracted in or from private prayer. Let me read you something that John Bunyan wrote that might surprise you that someone of his spiritual magnitude could struggle like this in private prayer. He wrote, May I but speak of my own experience and from that tell you the difficulty of praying to God as I ought? For as for my heart, when I go to pray, I find it hates to go to God. And when it is with Him, it hates to stay with Him. That many times I am forced in my prayers first to beg God that He would take my heart and set it on Himself in Christ, and when it is there, that He would keep it there. Oh, the starting holes that the heart has in time of prayer. None knows how many byways the heart has and back lanes to slip away from the presence of God. Listen. It is a common human experience when you go to pray to God secretly in private to be distracted. Especially if you're busy. Especially if you have a full life. Especially if there is a lot going on. Especially if you're home with little kids. Especially if you're taking care of someone. Life is full of distractions. I'm sure you have the same thing happen when you're trying to talk to friends or people that you're in relationship with. You're often distracted. It's not going to be any different when you go to speak to God. Don't sweat it if you are distracted. Rather, continue to pull yourself back. Ask God to help you, as John Bunyan did, to draw your heart to God, to keep it there. The ultimate solution to these obstacles and problems is what we learned last week, and that is we need the Holy Spirit's help. David McIntyre writes, So the poor soul that is pulling and tugging with his own heart finds it heavy and dull like a log in a ditch, and he can do no good with it till at last. The Spirit of God comes at the other end and takes the heaviest end of the burden, and so helps the soul to lift it up. There are many obstacles to private prayer. With the Holy Spirit's help, we can overcome each of them. Okay, I hope we understand private prayer now, that it is the kind of prayer Jesus is calling us to and teaching us how to do in these verses. And now we're ready to go back to verse 5. 
and read it with verse 6 and quickly see the first prerequisite here to prayer. Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 and 6. And when you pray, you must not, Jesus says. So here is what not to do. Be like the hypocrites. For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. For hypocrites, they are concerned with the outer life and not the inner life. They're concerned with what others see and not what God sees. And so their prayers go out and not up. The reward they receive is the admiration and the approval of men. Here is how we should pray. Not like the hypocrites. This is private prayer in verse 6. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. For the one who prays in private, they are concerned with the inner life. They are not as concerned with the outer life. And so, their prayers go up and not out. The reward they receive is fellowship with God. So what is the prerequisite here? It is sincerity. It is sincerity in prayer. The entire chapter is actually concerned with sincerity. The English word sincere is derived from two Latin words. I'm not sure how the words are pronounced, but they read like sine and sera. And those two words together mean without wax. So long ago, dishonest potters would conceal defects in their work with wax and then sell them as if there were no defects. But the more honest potter would label his work sine sera, which meant without wax. That is, what you see here is what you get. There's nothing being concealed. There's nothing being Hidden. What you see on the outside matches what is on the inside. And this is the prerequisite of private prayer. No wax. No pretense. No hiding. No hypocrisy. No trying to impress others or going after the approval of others. But who are you, Christian, when no one is looking? What are you doing, Christian, when no one is around? Are you more concerned with how your prayers sound before other people? Or are you more concerned with your prayers that are in secret between you and God alone? You see that secret prayer distinguishes sincerity 
from hypocrisy. We should be motivated by a desire to please God and not others, Jesus is saying. Secret prayer reveals just that. Secret prayer reveals whether your relationship with God is distant or intimate. Now, in conclusion, where does this sincerity come from? What if you are more concerned with what people think than what God thinks? What if you don't pray privately? Or you don't even want to pray privately? What if you are more outwardly focused? What if it is more important to you to have a good reputation before others than it is before God? What if the approval and the admiration that you get from how you look on the outside is what you're after? And you're not as concerned with your soul before God. And so you don't pray privately. Or when you do pray privately, you're looking to get out of it as quickly as possible. What is it you think about when there's nothing else to think about? Do your thoughts drift toward God? What do your prayers sound like? Are they different in front of people than they are between you and God? If that is the case, then you are not understanding the Gospel. Sincerity toward God in prayer springs from our understanding of the Gospel. John Calvin wrote about this in the first few chapters of his Institutes of Christian Religion. He knew how it was so important for people to know God and to love God and to know God's love for them before they put into practice any sort of religion. So that it wouldn't just be duty and it wouldn't just be form and it wouldn't just be a cleaning of the outside of the cup. But he wrote this, For the Word of God is not received by faith if it flits about in the top of the brain, but when it takes root in the depth of the heart. The heart's distrust is greater than the mind's blindness. It is harder for the heart to be furnished with assurance of God's love than for the mind to be endowed with thought. He writes, When the gospel does take root in the heart, the sign of it is that Christians are led to establish their complete happiness in Him. Unless people experience this, they will never give themselves truly and sincerely to Him. If you don't know God and you don't know God's love for you, if you don't know the Gospel, then why would you pray to Him in secret? 
Why would you pray to Him privately? Why would you even desire to have an experience, an encounter with Him, to commune with Him, to have fellowship with Him? If you don't know the Gospel, you may be afraid of God. You may be fearful, and so you only feel qualified to pray or to approach God when you think you're being good. Or you may think that God just loves everyone exactly the same and doesn't really care what we do, and so approaching God is not even a big deal to you. It's not something that you're interested in. But if we understand the Gospel, then that brings about a sincere desire in our hearts to approach God and to speak to Him and to hear from Him. The Gospel is the good news that Jesus came, lived, suffered, died, rose from the dead in our place so that we could be reconciled to God. So that we could have a relationship with God. So that we could know no matter what, even in as troubling of days as we are in right now, that the God who is in control of all things holds all things, including you and me in the palm of His hand. That He loves us. That He is directing all our days and the moments in those days for our good and for His glory. That we will know His love forever. That we will know His compassion and care forever. We need to understand this Gospel. Who the God is that brings it to us. And we desire to know Him more and to fellowship with Him in secret prayer. The more I understand the Gospel, the more I know that, the more I feel that, the more sincere will I be in my prayers. And so let us not, when we pray, be like hypocrites. For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly, Jesus writes, I say to you, they have received their reward. But let us be like this. When we pray, may we go into our room and shut the door and pray to our Father who is in secret. And our Father will see us in secret. And He will reward us with Himself. Let's pray. Father in Heaven, thank You for this Word. And we ask that You would help us to understand it. And that You would help us to have these rich times of fellowship with You, whether it's for a moment, 15 minutes, an hour, or longer. May we long for and may You give us these encounters with You, the living God. Thank You for the example that Jesus was of this to us and the instructions that He gives us here. We look forward, if it be Your will, to learning more about this secret prayer.
We pray this and ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.